You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Monday! And an especially happy Monday because we have a hell of a Monday night football game tonight. I don't want to hype it up too much because there have been a couple instances this season where we expected great games and one team didn't show up for their end of the bargain. But I'm hoping that we get the best of the Pats and the best of the Bills and we really get a look at which of these teams is the cream of the crop in the AFC. Because, man, this is going to be a fun one if we do. And after some of the contests we saw this weekend and continue to see these lopsided, strange games that keep us confused about where the best in the NFL stand and where those kind of middle of the pack don't look now they could be contenders stand, some of whom failed miserably this weekend, we need some games that really show us what's what, and tonight could be one of them. It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain with you for the first hour. Jason Fitz expected to join me for the second hour. We will get into the fact that we are allegedly married. I know that the uh, the listening audience is deeply invested in finding out whether Fitz and I have been secretly married this entire time. We will get to that. Uh, but you guys can be a part of the show tonight by joining Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper call-in line. Uh, and the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz is where you can hit us up. ESPN Nation is presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is heating up, and fans are hyped. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. We'll get your input on a lot of things, uh, presumably including whether or not we're married, a little later in the show. But I want to start with some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And the straight talk is that the Lions won a football game. The Lions, the Detroit Lions won a football game this weekend, and usually I start the show by talking about some of the league's best, but I want to talk about the league's worst, because it was 364 days after they last won a game. It is the first football game they have won without Matt Stafford as their quarterback since 2010 Week 17, when Sean Hill led the way against the Vikings. Against the Vikings. So yeah, first Jared Goff win without Sean McVay as his coach, ended an eight-game losing streak against the Vikings dating back to 2017. This is the longest it took the Lions, the latest in a season, uh, the 12th game, since 1970 that a team won its first game on a deciding touchdown on the final play of regulation. And guess what? That was no surprise because who were the Lions playing? None other than the Vikings. And the Vikings season has been cardiac kids all year long. In fact, Pablo Torre today on a great episode of ESPN Daily running down the whole weekend slate of games with Alex Smith kind of reminded us of just what the Vikings have been doing all season. But week one, they lose on a walk-off field goal in overtime. Week two, they lose on a missed field goal. Add in a couple more really close shaves. You get to week eight, lose on a touchdown with less than a minute left. Week nine, lose on a walk-off field goal in overtime. Week 13... Congratulations, you're the thing that prevented the Detroit Lions from being the first 0-16-1 team in NFL history. That's right. And this is what it sounded like. It wasn't just... It was almost another fail, by the way. The Lions almost gave the game away. Dan Campbell inexplicably going for it up to with not, not much time left. Like there, there was, It was setting itself up to be another disastrous, self-imposed L. But Jared Goff to the rookie, walk off, and here's what it sounded like. First victory of the year on the line. Goff's got it. Back, looks, throws, and yes! Caught! Touchdown, Detroit Lions! They did it! Armand Ross St. Brown in the receiving end! Oh, they're rushing the field! 
won it. Three zeros on the clock. This game is over. It's over. Jared Goff to Amon Ross St. Brown. His first career touchdown. And how big is that? I mean, the crack of the voice. It makes you smile. I mean, it makes you It makes you sad, too. Because no one should be that excited about your first win in week 12. I mean, it, would just, it shouldn't, shouldn't be this way. But they got to win. They will not be the, you know, in the annals of history as the first team to not win a single game in a 17-game season. Uh, and you know what was really cool about this was the Red Wings, the Lions, and Michigan all winning this weekend, all, you know, dedicating their wins to the victims of the Michigan school shooting, one that's just 30 miles outside Detroit, school very close to where the Lions play. And Dan Campbell taking some time after this momentous win for him and this team to talk about it. This game ball goes to the whole Oxford community. All those were affected. And that being said, man, I just I want us to not forget these names, Madison Baldwin, Hannah St. Juliana, Justin Schilling, Tate Muir, Phoebe Arthur, uh, John Ashuda, Riley France, Elijah Mueller, Kylie Osiji, Aiden Watson, and Molly Darnell, who's a teacher. Um, those those names, um, for all those, uh, you know, will never be forgotten. And they're in our hearts and our prayers and all the families, and not to mention all those that were affected by all of this. Uh, the classmates, the brothers and sisters, the cousins, the teachers, uh, everybody. Again, it's tough when you don't win a game for so long, 364 days to feel completely clean when you celebrate so much for that first one. But they made good at the time, especially Dan Campbell, after the win. And you do have to smile a bit. You do have to smile unless you're a Vikings fan, I guess. Uh, Vikings, 11 of their 12 games this season decided by one possession. Seven losses in one-score games, the most in the NFL this season. Six of those games where the game-winning score came on the final play, which is tied with the 2015 Ravens for the most in a team's first 12 games since the merger. So this has been – and this team is led by at least a touchdown in every game this season. So uh, they keep you, they keep it interesting. Uh, not always good, though, when you're handing the Lions their first win. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you. We're presented by Progressive. Guests are going to join me on the Goodyear hotline throughout the show. Fitz going to join for the second hour tonight. And we've got a really good Monday night football game to look ahead to. Uh, it's interesting if you listen to folks all day talking about it, whether they think it's going to be a grind-it-out, win-it-in-the-trenches game, a battle of wits between coaches and quarterbacks, uh, it, the style is going to be interesting to, to, to look at. Bart Scott of Barton Hahn, you hear them earlier in the day here on ESPN Radio, said that he thinks this is all about the heavyweights, the big uglies on the line. This is like getting a second chance at going against the Colts. This is like a second chance in going against the Tennessee Titans that took your manhood, that ran the ball down your throat. Yep. This is your opportunity to say, all right, all right, y'all push me around. Y'all think y'all about to run up on me? Y'all think we soft? Okay, we're going to show you what soft is. This is when you get in the fight before the game. This is when you push in after the game. This is when you fighting like the defense linemen and the, and the, and the guards because you know that they just, they've just been told all week, they soft. We're going to come off the ball. We're going to fire up the ball. Right? And they ain't going to do nothing fancy first play. First play probably going to be some type of double power where they send a message. They probably tell the running back, hey, man, run straight and lower your head. Whatever shows up, step on it. <laughs> Whatever shows up, step on. It might be the way things go down tonight, but Lewis Riddick was on the aforementioned ESPN Daily and seemed to think this would come down to Josh Allen, among others, playing this game smart. 
Josh Allen is going to have to, dare I say, for a guy who's as talented as him, he's going to have to almost really almost dial it back to the point where he has to play more of a thinking man's game. And that's not to say that he doesn't, but meaning just take care of the ball. It's okay to punt. It's okay to play field position. Be smart where you throw the football into what quadrants of the field we're talking about, especially if you're throwing it into the wind. This is going to be a thinking man's game. Yeah, and of course, when you're playing Bill Belichick, you got to be smart. That team will take advantage if you give them mistakes to build on. It's Spain and Fitz. That was Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. A lot more on that Monday Night Football game coming up. But Bill Barnwell is going to join me next to go through the slate of weekend games. Who are some of those teams I was talking about? Some of those don't look nows in the middle. Do we still believe in them a couple weeks after they made a push? It's next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Are you really surprised? Are you really surprised that it looks like the Chiefs are figuring it out? Maybe not. Maybe a couple weeks ago when we were all doubting whether they could turn things around, you were the one saying, nah, the Chiefs will be fine. But were you saying they'd be fine because of their defense? Did you think Patrick Mahomes would go two straight weeks without a passing touchdown? I'm going to raise my hand and say I certainly was not. We'll see if Bill Barnwell was. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain with you. Solo for the first hour here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Bill Barnwell now joining us on the Goodyear Hotline, host of the Bill Barnwell podcast. Bill, let us know. You know, uh, give us the straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Is this Chiefs defense good enough to get them all the way to the Super Bowl and contend in the Super Bowl, even if we don't see their offense return to form. Ooh, I think it is. I really do. I mean, this is not just like a one-week thing or a two-week thing. Like, first five games of the year, they were brutal. They were bad. And since then, they've been one of the best defenses in football. I mean, even with the offense at best being inconsistent over that stretch. And I think, to me, this team, so much of what happens to them on defense comes down to the play and the availability of Frank Clark and Chris Jones, their two-star defensive linemen. When those guys are playing well and they're creating pressure, this entire defense falls into place. When they're struggling, like they did early in the season, they're a mess. So I think keeping those guys healthy into the postseason might be what determines whether this Chiefs defense kind of hold up their end of the bargain and maybe even carry this team through the postseason. So is that it then? Is there is there something else you see when you watch this defense in recent games? Is it just that they got those studs back, or are they doing something different that's contributing their success? I think that's the biggest thing. They've made some changes at linebacker. Um, we've seen Nick Bolton come into the lineup, and he's been very good. There's been less of Daniel Sorensen, although uh, you know a guy everyone picks on, I feel like, did have a pick six. Uh, in last night's game, uh, he's been more of a, a, a secondary role for that defense. So they made some changes here and there, but I really think it comes down to those two guys. They're just they're, they're such dramatic difference makers. They create so many big plays for that defense. And we know it's like they're not going to be a great defense necessarily from drive to drive, but they are going to be a defense that tries to create takeaways because you know even if you move the ball on them, if they can hold you to field goals, if they can create one or two takeaways a game, I think that's going to be enough for this team to win. 
Yeah, and even if you execute your defense against the Chiefs' offense, those explosive plays might be taken away. But if Mahomes is being patient and working the ball down the field, they'll still score enough to beat you if their defense is doing what they're doing now. That AFC West, currently every single team at 500 or better, which is similar to the AFC North, where the Browns are at the bottom at 500, everybody else above 500. We saw that Ravens-Steelers game and that Steelers defense showing up. What do you make of the AFC North? Where is the strength in that conference? Division. <laughs> I don't know anymore. Division I feel like every week I, yes. I just I, I have a different opinion on where this division lands. I think, honestly, what it might come down to is just who's healthiest mm-hmm. by the end of the season. Because we saw the Ravens lost Marlon Humphrey, their excellent cornerback last night. They've already been dealing with so many injuries on both sides of the football, down multiple starters on offense and defense. The Browns, we know an injured mess, uh, again, on both sides of the football, especially on the offensive line. Um, that's been a serious problem for them. Baker Mayfield on 100% hasn't been for a while. It might come down to the Bengals and the Steelers just because they've relatively been healthier than the Ravens and, and the Browns. And I think, you know, we saw, I mean, T.J. Watt, who was on the COVID list, came back, made that play on the final stop of that game. If he's not on the field, I think the Ravens win that game. It might come down to, you know, in a division like that, just one or two plays where it's just who has their star actually on the field instead of being on the sideline. Yeah, absolutely. And that brings me to the star of one of those teams, Joe Burrow, who saw, you know, taking on Justin Herbert, those two guys going back and forth, creating a whole bunch of conversation about who was actually better and who was let down by his team. Mercurial Chargers team with a super stud at QB but they seem to show up a bit more for him than Burrow, even though some said that Joe might have been the better quarterback on that night, just a few fewer flashy plays. What do you? What did you see? Uh, first off, I like the use of Mercurial in Thank that. And I feel you. like that is, Apropos. you know, I expect a lot when I hop on the radio with you, but even that is next <laughs> level for me. I appreciate that. I, I thought Herbert was the better player. And I mean, they both made mistakes in this game. Like it wasn't a perfect performance by any means, but just like you watch what Justin Herbert does and there's just – not really quarterbacks in the NFL who can do what he does. Like Joe Burrow made some good decisions in this game at times, some bad decisions as well. I, I think Joe Burrow maybe didn't get as much help as Justin Herbert, but like the stuff that Justin Herbert can do on his own, you're looking at maybe three or four guys in the NFL, Pat Mahomes yeah. um, when he's playing well, Josh Allen who's playing well, just the, the talent that Justin Herbert has, the ability to make throws that other guys, you know, they look and they don't even attempt it because they know they can't get the ball there. Like I think Justin Herbert just – He's just a different kind of quarterback than Joe Burrow. And I think his ability to do those things set the Chargers apart from the Bengals in that game. I think if the two teams switched sides, I think Justin Herbert would have won with the Bengals uh, and uh, Joe Burrow would have lost with the Chargers, just given what Justin Herbert did for Los Angeles yesterday. Bill Barnwell is with me here on Spain and Fitz. You can listen to his work on the Bill Barnwell Show podcast and, of course, read his work on .com. Let's talk about some teams that just a couple of weeks ago we all kind of referred to as, well, at least I did on this show, the sort of don't look now, but this team might actually be relevant. That's the Colts, for instance, or the Mm -hmm. Vikings, Washington. Are these teams that are still in the mix, in your opinion, or is that Vikings lost to the Lions uh, kind of the the sort of thing that makes you think that, that they might technically be in it, but they're not really in it? Yeah, I think it depends. Like for the Vikings, I mean, think about what they're dealing with. They're already down. Dalvin Cook, Adam Thielen just suffered a high ankle sprain. Uh, they were down Anthony Barr, 
Eric Kendricks, Patrick Peterson in this game. That's five Pro Bowl players. And now they come back on Thursday night and have to play the Steelers coming off of two straight losses. If they lose this third straight game, I think according to the upshots playoff model at the New York Times, they have like an 8% chance of making it to the postseason. They are in serious, serious trouble. That game against the Steelers is kind of a must-win for them in the NFC. They have to get to nine wins probably, and they still have the Steelers, the Rams, and the Packers at five and seven. So they are a bit of a mess right now. But then you think about a team like Washington, six and six, and I know maybe, you know, kind of think, okay, well, it took a two-point stop to beat the Seahawks, last-second field goal against the Raiders, but their final five games are all against the NFC East. That's just not stiff competition. So I really think at this point, you know, there's sort of this big glut of teams at seven and six or six and seven or six and six or five and seven. And I think what it's going to come down to is just who do you have left on your schedule? For Washington, I think they're in much better shape than Minnesota just because their slate is so much easier from here on out. Yeah, Washington is one of those teams a couple weeks ago we asked you around the halfway point for the most disappointing players, phases, coaches, etc. And I said that Washington defense, but they picked things up enough to keep them a little more competitive of late. Absolutely. I mean, uh, they had a really weird trend first half of their season. They were like the fourth best defense in the NFL on first and second down. And on third down, it was like they had never learned how to play football. They were the worst defense in football (laughs) on third down by like one of the worst marks in league history. It was terrible. But then you flip it over the last five games. They have been one of the best defenses in football on third. And as it turns out, all you have to do to get good on defense is lose Chase Young and Montez Sweat to Apparently, injuries, which yeah, makes absolutely some of your no best players. Sense, well, the whole season doesn't that's make what sense, this football Bill. Season is. Yeah, exactly. this whole this whole football season is is just I don't know. I, I guess at it, and and it's longer <laughs> than ever, so we have even longer to look stupid as all of the things we predict go wrong. Mostly not what you say, though. You're almost always right, Bill. Thanks for the time, as always. Appreciate it. Enjoy Monday Night Football tonight. Thanks, Sarah. Bill Barnwell. Listen to the Bill Barnwell podcast. Read his work. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance with insurance for cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and commercial vehicles at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. Monday Night Spotlight coming up next. We've got reps from the Bills and the Pats to get us ready for a great one tonight. Coming up, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz on Monday night, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain with you. Fitz going to join me later. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And it's Monday night with a fantastic matchup. Will the weather ruin Bill's Pats for all of us? You just heard maybe take the under. Uh, We'll find out. We'll talk to some experts about it now. It's the Monday night spotlight. The rest of Monday night is given over to those gargantuan goliaths of the gridiron. Setting the scene for another Monday night football showdown. That bouncing behemoth ballet known better as professional football. Here's the Monday night spotlight on Spain and Fitz. The Monday night football preview is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Let's start with the Bills side of things. Elena Getzenberg joining us now with her insight on tonight's matchup. Elena, this is feeling like an interesting twist on what would already be an exciting game because of the insane wind and weather. A sort of Randy Johnson versus Greg Maddox when you look at Josh Allen's arm versus Mac Jones and how the wind might affect it. Is that a benefit for the Bills that they've got the heavy-armed quarterback? Yeah, Sarah, I absolutely think so. Josh Allen, I don't worry about. It's very, very windy here. (laughs) The goalposts are shaking, kind of, you know, going backwards a little bit. But I don't worry about Josh Allen's arm and his ability to throw the football downfield in this. I think the Bills may try to run the ball a little bit more, but I still think this will be a pass-first offense, and that benefits Josh Allen versus, you know, Mac Jones being just a rookie in this environment. Yeah, to your point, the the Bills aren't as unbalanced as maybe it seems. 11th in the league in rushing yards per game, 7th in um, in YPC, but it does feel like they're always looking to Allen's arm to build that offense around. Is that something that will be a challenge for them tonight if it turns out that the weather just doesn't allow them to use their traditional strategy? I think it could be a challenge. I mean, definitely it'll be harder to throw the football in this weather. But again, I, I have pretty – I think Josh Allen can do it. I think he can still throw in this weather. I think, however, the Patriots may find success running the ball on the ground. And the Bills' defense has – run defense has especially struggled at times this year. So that matchup I have a little more concern about. Um, but the Bills' offense has run the ball – you know, sometimes when they want to, but I, I think they can still be a pastor's offense that they want to be um, while also being smart about it. But I still think offensively, you know, this benefits Josh Allen. He He's thrown in, you know, strong wins here in Buffalo before, and I think he can do it again. Elena Getzenberg, ESPN Bills reporter, is with me here on Spain and Fitz. You look at the first three matchups for Josh Allen with New England, all of them defeats, but he started off really struggling, and last season, despite the 2-0 sweep, he still improved his completion percentage. It looked like he was starting to pick up a little bit more on Belichick's schemes. That being said, this Bills offense is facing a Pats defense that looks nothing like previous seasons. This is an incredibly stout defense. How smart does Josh Allen have to be, and maybe how much might he need to alter his game to not make the kind of mistakes that could hand this game to the Pats? Yeah, I think he has to be really smart. We've seen in the past few games, um, it's not all been on Josh Allen, but there's been, you know, he's been throwing a lot of interceptions lately. Some of it, again, is not on him, but he he hasn't been making the best decisions with the football, and the Patriots, you know, they're going to put him in situations where they want him to make those mental errors and throw the football where he doesn't want to. So because it's also been a recent issue for him, I think that'll be a special emphasis for him tonight. He's talked about it a lot this week, that he needs to make better decisions. And Bill Belichick also has, you know, watched all of Josh Allen's recent interceptions and will absolutely try to force him into those. So that's going to be a key part of this game if Josh Allen can stop making those mental mistakes. All right, last question for you quickly. What do you think is the biggest key to a Bills win tonight? Uh, I'm going to say, actually, to go with that, not turning the ball over and creating Mm -hmm. turnovers because they go together. (laughs) The Bills defense, when they're at their best, they're causing a lot of interceptions, forcing the ball out. Um, They need to do that tonight, and Josh Allen needs to be smart with the football. Awesome stuff. Enjoy the game. Stay dry. Stay. Uh, don't get. Don't blow away. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Elena Getzenberg, ESPN Bills reporter. Let's switch over to the other side of the ball. Our ESPN Patriots reporter, Mike Reese, is with us to talk about that side of things. First in points differential, first in scoring defense this season. That is the Pats. The Bills, second in both categories. So we've got the top two scoring defenses. How big of a deal, Mike, will it be for this defense to disrupt Josh Allen and the offense that the Bills want to play? Yes, Sarah, no question. Uh, The defense is going to be key. You know, the way the Patriots have sort of strung together these six straight wins, it's been defense complementing an offense that sort of, you know, takes care of the football and, and plays a little bit conservatively. And then you add in the kicking game. And those are the three phases. And you know what? Speaking of the kicking game, Sarah, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Have you ever seen goalpost dance before? (laughs) <laughs> I've seen it all. I've seen double doinks. I've yeah. seen Robbie Gold kick a 90-degree field goal the one year when it was San Francisco wind was so bad, he had to intentionally kick it at a 90-degree angle. I don't know if I've seen the dancing, but I'm guessing that San Francisco well, game, there was a little bit of movement there. <laughs> well, well, Sarah, you're going to see it tonight because I'm watching out on the field right now <laughs> as the teams warm up, and these goalposts are swaying, and in fact, they're actually a, a half naked. What, you know, the orange flags on the top of the goalpost one of them has ripped off because the winds (laughs) are so intense so i just wanted to prepare you for that tonight i've never seen this before they're literally they're they're swaying back and forth well i'll tell you what if it's a bills game up near buffalo you can guarantee that there will be something naked there that's just the way those fans are (laughs) uh it's not usually the goalpost though um we're talking to mike reese first of all we don't talk enough about mac jones name actually being michael mccorkle jones i just think we should all call him mccorkle i don't know what we're doing here what a waste of our time to be calling him mac all season but we know his touch is his secret but this team and and bill belichick likely to make some adjustments if that catchable ball that he's known for is not quite so catchable in the weather do you anticipate a different style from them tonight i do it's gonna have to be a different style and here's what people should watch for if they're watching the game or listen for on the radio um, if they're listening to it that way which direction are they going because there's one tunnel here in buffalo and if they're going toward the tunnel the wind is in your direction like josh allen i could see him throwing the ball the length of the field if he's going toward the tunnel against the tunnel i mean this ball it might be a boomerang i mean it might shoot right back (laughs) at each quarterback so sarah i'm serious i mean wait till you see this it is unlike anything i've ever seen before so to me with mac they're really gonna i mean the short to intermediate passing game is always a factor but you might have to take intermediate out of that equation tonight why can't we have nice things? I just want a normal game where we get to see which team is better, and we're not going to be able to do that with this weather tonight. Does does this Patriots team seem at all surprised by the success that they're having this season? Because obviously you ask around that division or most fans of football, they probably were hoping for a little bit longer of a gap between the Patriots being as great with uh, Tom Brady as they are with McCorkle Jones. Uh, but does the team seem surprised at all? No, sir, they don't. And to their credit, I will tell you, when they were two and four, a lot of the players were saying we're better than a two and four team. And the response to that in New England was, hey, look, you, you know, Bill Parcells used to say you are what your record says mm-hmm. you are. And, you know, the players went out and proved that over the last six games that they are better than a two and four team. So they they always thought that this was who they are. They just had to go out and turn turn around that tough start that they had this season. 
Well, it's going to be interesting. I'll say that much. Uh, like I said, if you bet the over a couple hours ago, uh, good luck to you. Uh, maybe with Josh Allen throwing towards the tunnel, you'll have some luck. Uh, thank you so much, Mike. Enjoy the game. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Mike Reese, our ESPN Pats reporter, with us here on the Goodyear Hotline. Brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Fitz going to join me shortly. We'll talk about whether or not we're secretly married. We'll get into some college football talk. Good take, hot take. But coming up, there were some weird stories today. It was a manic Monday. We'll get into them on quick. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Happy Monday, Spain and Fitz. Fitz going to join me soon here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Got a big Monday night football game. We'll keep looking ahead to also a huge weekend of college football action. I'll see if Fitz agrees with me that the committee may be Made some interesting choices about those final seedings. Don't forget, you can tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters, presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcast. Like I said earlier, those Monday shows with Pablo and Alex Smith breaking down the weekend of NFL games, always fantastic. Uh, ESPN Daily, a must-listen every morning, so make sure you do it. Um, There's a bunch of news that hit today. It was one of those Mondays where things kept coming in, I'm saying, mm, we're going to hear more about that. Whatever that whatever that announcement is, there's more to that story. So let's get to some of those. The way we do it around here when we don't have a lot of time and we got a lot of stories, it's Quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. All right, let's start with that college football. We'll get into the results and the outcomes and the playoffs later. But let's start with the Big Ten Championship incorrectly labeling Iowa football the Buckeyes against Michigan in the stadium on the scoreboard for all to see. The video board said, instead of Iowa Hawkeyes, Iowa Buckeyes. Uh, A lot of people expected Ohio State to maybe be in that title game. They were not. Michigan Playing Iowa, the disrespect. Oof. So that was flying around social media. The Iowa Buckeyes. Somehow you knew Ohio State would find a way to weasel their way, and even if they weren't playing. Uh, that's a pretty big error. Uh, everybody makes mistakes, but that one's pretty bad. And unfortunately for Iowa, they weren't able to use the almost literal bulletin board material to find their way to victory. Uh, they got whooped. We'll get into that game a little bit later. All right, next story. Quickies. This is a rough one. Uh, We don't yet have a lot of news about Paige Beckers and the injuries she suffered. But yesterday, as her UConn number two women's basketball team was beating up on Notre Dame to a final of 73-54, she suffered a non-contact left knee injury. She was out on the court, down the stretch, a lot of people wondering why she was out there with Connecticut having such a large lead. Gino Ariama said, I don't have an answer for why she was in the game, but yeah, I don't like our team without her on the court. We've heard him be snarky this season, including a previous game where he said that there were some guys on the team that uh, don't, I believe it was, don't know a lick about basketball or can't do a thing. or It was a, it was a pretty deep cut uh, for some of the bench players or maybe uh, lower-level starters, but Oriema made it very clear he wants her out there as often as possible. Unfortunately, 
the reigning national player of the year, baby missing sometimes. She's set to get an MRI in the coming days. So, of course, keep you updated on that. I'm bummed, too, because uh, UConn coming to play DePaul here in Chicago in a couple weeks. Uh, I was planning on going to see her play live in person, and I don't know if that's going to happen if that injury is severe as maybe it looked like when her teammates were helping her off the court. All right, next story in Quickies. Quickies. This is what I was referring to earlier with the stories that you're wondering, scratching your head a little, saying, is this what what's going to come of this? Two of the top coaches in the WNBA today announced uh, as as parting ways with their team. First this morning, the New York Liberty announcing a search for a new head coach, saying specifically that there was a decision by head coach Walt Hopkins and management to part ways. They thank him for the last two seasons in which the team developed three WNBA all-rookie team members and a rookie of the year. By all accounts, he was popular and successful and was working really well with a very young Liberty team, including Sabrina Nescu. And that one had me scratching my head thinking, is there more to this story? The way they parted ways, mutually, allegedly, and with them thanking him, it doesn't sound suspicious, like he was let go for cause, but you have to wonder... What was the reason for that decision? And then just now, a couple hours ago, the Phoenix Mercury announcing that they are not renewing the contract of Sandy Brondello, who's been there since 2014, led them to a title that year. Eight seasons, they made the playoffs every year. They lost in the finals to my Chicago Sky this year after having a 19-13 and record in the regular season. Her deal did expire. Eight years is a long time. But again, I'm scratching my head a little bit about letting Sandy Brondello go. And I'm wondering if there's some sort of sea change occurring in the WNBA or what is uh, yet to come from both of those squads as far as these decisions go. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. A little bit of quickies on this Monday as we catch you up on some stories outside the very busy football world. Uh, Let's get to the next one. Quickies. Uh, Medina Spirit. The horse that made a lot of news earlier this year, Kentucky Derby winner, uh, Bob Baffert trained, who, of course, at one point was prohibited from going to the track because of concerns about the number of horses in his watch that had tested positive for drugs. Well, the Derby winner, Medina Spirit, collapsed and died today after a workout at Santa Anita. And if you know anything about Santa Anita, you know that last bit adds even more to this story as hundreds of horses have been dying on that track in recent years. And they're saying right now that Medina spirit suffered a heart attack, had just completed five furlongs in a second workout and suffered a heart attack. And they took blood, hair, urine samples. They sent them to the horse racing board to figure out if there is a more clear cause of death. But you remember that the horse tested positive right after the derby for a legal medication not allowed on race day. And uh, Baffert, you know, after the failed test, was suspended and barred from entering horses in a bunch of races. And the larger conversation continues to be why we have horse racing in the first place. Of course, money and cruelty. And because humans don't care about things that aren't themselves, or even those sometimes... But the more of these stories that come out of Santa Anita specifically, the more stories about horses being drugged, the more stories about the thousands of horses that die every year in the name of horse racing, you'd like to think that we started to have some more honest conversations about the fact that this is not a sport, it is cruelty to animals. I won't hold my breath. Next story. 
Quickies. Dame Lillard uh, is the subject of rumors every year in the NBA, and he has stood his ground year after year in wanting to stay in Portland, wanting to bring a title to that city specifically, and he's been a bit shielded from some criticism for the Portland failure to perhaps rise to their potential because of his loyalty to them. He has maybe not been criticized as much as some might argue he could be for being the leader there and it never quite working out. But most would argue instead that they have not been able to put the right pieces on and around a transcendent star and that his loyalty is a disservice to his talent, that he should be willing and ready to move on the way we often argued that it was okay at least not Minnesota fans, but everybody else in the NBA, when Kevin Garnett said, I've done my best here for the Timberwolves, I'm going to go somewhere where I have a chance to win, and then did. I don't think a lot of people outside of Portland would be frustrated with Damian Lillard if he were to leave, but again, he has reiterated over and over he wants to stay. Well, now, as the organization is under scrutiny for the longtime president of baseball ops and GM Neil Olshi being investigated for workplace misconduct, the off-season criticism of um, the hiring of Chauncey Billups, the middle-of-the-pack record that they're currently boasting, or I guess not boasting. Uh, you know, Friday morning, Olshi gets fired. So that tenure ends. Now they're in the search for new front office folks that are going to make this team better. And Lillard is being asked about Everything including that, and he now allegedly, according to some sources, wants Ben Simmons to come to Portland. Now, you might think to yourself, wow, this is really great because no one has wanted Ben Simmons. That's so awesome. The Sixers are finally going to find a trade partner for a guy who's essentially persona non grata in Philly and hasn't gotten a lot of looks from anyone else. Unfortunately, what Philly wanted, of course, was for Damian Lillard to go to Philly in a trade for Ben Simmons, which everybody except for Philly poo-pooed is not a fair deal. And Ben uh, 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 Damian Lillard doesn't want to leave. He wants to play with Ben Simmons, according to those reports from The Athletic. So we'll keep an eye on whether there's any chance they can find other pieces. Is CJ McCollum a guy that gets sent? They are very close, that relationship there. But we already saw... Uh, you know, changes to this team in the offseason and now early in this season is another one yet to come. And is Ben Simmons on his way out? We'll keep an eye on that one um, and what Dame Lillard is saying publicly versus what we're hearing from sources. Coming up, that was quickies, by the way. Got through them all. Coming up, we'll talk to you about Heisman noms and the college football playoff set. Do we agree with the matchups? It's next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Monday night ahead of a huge matchup between the Pats and the Bills. We'll keep you updated on how that's going, but we got to talk some college football. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And don't forget to tune into That's What She Said. The podcast hosted by yours truly and fueled by Gatorade. We appreciate their continued support of women sports journalists and athletes here at ESPN and everywhere. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade's proven formula is there to fuel it. 
Greatness starts with G. Last week, still up, Jason Concepcion, a.k.a. Network on social media. That was a great one. Coming up tomorrow, ESPN's own Ivan Maisel talking about his new book. That is a great one, too. So go find that podcast. That's what she said. I mentioned college football. You just heard the Heisman noms. Interesting thought from Nicole Auerbach, who said, if you're a Heisman voter, you have to look beyond box scores and quarterback stat lines. It's ridiculous that only one defensive player is a finalist this year of all years. We'll get into that, but I also want to talk about the final four. The top teams remained, but reshuffled after the big weekend of conference championship games. Alabama to take on Cincy in the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic. Michigan to face Georgia in the Capital One Orange Bowl. Winners play January 10th in the National Championship game in Indy. I'm surprised a little bit by the way the seedings worked out, but I'm not that surprised by Alabama beating Georgia in the SEC championship game. 41-24, the score a little surprising, but Georgia didn't need to win to stay in the top four. There was a potential for a letdown there, and you did think maybe Nick Saban and his squad would feed off for once being an underdog. Here's what he said about the media fueling him. You guys gave us a lot of really positive rat poison. The rat poison that you usually give us is usually fatal. But the rat poison that you put out there this week was yummy. Ah, yes. It's a nod to one of his famous post-game rants about positive press that his teams get. And, you know, rat poison could affect their play because you write too much about how good they are and yada, yada. Well, this time he appreciated the rat poison because of the uh, uh, probably six-and-a-half-point spread, the largest against the Crimson Tide since 08. And uh, I guess the negative, positive rat poison was good. They earned the respect. And not just that, but they now earned the top spot because of that. According to Gary Barta, the CFP Selection Committee chair, he told ESPN not only did Alabama beat Georgia, but the way they beat them. They controlled the game pretty much from start to finish. The only reason I'm confused is because it does feel like the committee decides in the moment, whether head-to-head matters the most, whether quality of win or schedule matters the most, and it does feel like a little bit of a prisoner of the moment. Alabama only has one loss, yes, but Georgia only has one loss, and it's to Alabama that's been in the top four all season long. Just because they just lost and Alabama controlled the game, that game meant much more to Alabama. They had a real good chance of not making the playoff if they lost. Georgia was going to be in it regardless. Doesn't that affect at all whether you think Georgia should be still the top seed? Because in my opinion, I could see that. Nobody else seems to be arguing that. Everyone are mostly seems to be happy with it. The Michigan-Cincinnati elements are fascinating. The two biggest preseason long shots to make the playoffs at 100-1 to and 80-1, to respectively. And Michigan, the first team to make the playoff after the starting the season unranked in the AP. So there's certainly a twist there that many didn't expect. Um, but Michigan being two. Wow, right? 42-3 to dismantling of Iowa helped them in the Big Ten Championship. And I guess that drops Georgia to three because of the loss, because they don't have a conference title, which, again, depending on the season, that title matters a lot or not much. I mean, it's really about the fact that you're a Michigan fan, right? Like like Michigan got to be number two because they were like, hey. Thank you for showing up. I mean, Sarah Spain is a fan. 
My take is actually not in service of my Michigan fandom. I, for whatever, I still think Georgia should be on top if they were the best team all season and their only loss was to an Alabama team that needed to win to stay in it and has been in the top four all season. Isn't that a better loss than Alabama's loss? It is a better loss than Alabama's loss. Is it uh, just prisoner of the moment, the game we just watched? I think what happens, and, and I don't know if this is good or bad, but to me what happens is we changed narratives so drastically. So all of a sudden it went from nobody can top Georgia to, well, Georgia didn't really play that many great teams. Right, of course. And, and it's, yeah. it's, I think it's a little <laughs> stunning. Like w- the one thing that I wish the committee would just admit is that they are suckers for the eye test. And that's fine. Just just be real about it and say, hey, I didn't feel good putting in right. Alabama below well, Georgia. You know, that that's fine. They are most of the time, except for when Gary Barta says, put aside watching the games. Oh, my God. You're right. I, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, it just depends on the week. Paul Feinbaum talked about this, not specifically uh, Bama passing Georgia, but Bama passing Michigan. He was on KJ and Max and said this. I thought they made the right choice. Uh, and it was, a, it was a very narrow choice, Max, but ultimately Alabama beat the number one team in the country. That sounds strange to say, considering Alabama is usually number one. They did it in convincing fashion. And, yeah, I think after that it gets really narrow. Uh, but Michigan has had a phenomenal season. But, but I, I think beating Georgia, Trump beating Ohio State last week and, and Iowa this week. Do you agree, Fitz? Or do you, I'm surprised I haven't seen anybody else make the argument I've made. Maybe I, I didn't look hard enough. The total resume is where, and you know, because I was hosting rankings reaction when all of this went down, and it, interestingly, strength of uh, strength of record and strength of schedule. Like Georgia's strength of schedule was twentieth this year. Alabama's was fourth. So I think those those metrics play in. Like Michigan's was twenty first. So all of a sudden, what happened is they got the ability to justify everything else they already thought about Alabama, which is wow, this is a great team. And look at how highly rated they are. Look at their strength of resume, their strength of schedule. Look at their game control metrics. How how badly did they beat a team compared to how they think other teams would beat those? Like all of the stat weenie things lined up with a huge win. So they're able to do that. I do think, though, that we're stat weenie. Yeah, stat weenies. Yeah, like the stat weenies. You know, the guys that, uh, yeah. and the guys and girls yep, that are yep, sitting there. Yeah, the number okay. crunchers. Uh, but I, I will say this: I think we're also underselling then Michigan's thumping of Ohio State. Like, right? You know, I, that that was the part that stunned me a little bit through because when I did my final rankings the night before, I was asked to do for one of the shows. I put Michigan at one. And, and I felt like it's just it was the natural progression. Let Alabama, Georgia figure each other out at two and three, and put Cincinnati at four. Like that made sense to me. Uh, leapfrogging Alabama to one, I guess. Uh, I, you know, I don't have a, a hard time with it, but I also think I wouldn't have had any problem with it going the other way. Don't you think they should have taken into account that that Bama had something to play for and Georgia didn't? Yes, but I think you know the funny thing is that, and and you know, I've had this argument with Mike a couple of times, Michael Jr. over the last couple of days too. Uh, you know, I think pro or college football heads will tell you, well, they, you know, the SEC championship means so much and beating Bama always means something to Georgia. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, so I don't believe that there's a conspiracy theory behind it. But I'm also kind of like, I don't know. Did they maybe just decide to lay down for this game and get right. them into the playoffs? I know like, that's not the truth. Save some stuff, but save some I, stuff it's, a little bit. It's at least explainable you? to me. Yeah. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, together again on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. You can let us know if you think they got it wrong. Hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. Be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation. At Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Spain and Fitz. Give us your takes on what uh, either the CFP rankings ended out at or maybe 
your picks for the games. Uh, Fitz, do you think my... Listen, a lot of people, you weren't on the show. It was uh, Courtney Cronin filling in, but as I was celebrating Michigan's big win over Ohio State, a lot of people decided to chime in and tell me that, oh, well, you're you're new to this Michigan fan thing. They're going to disappoint you. They're going to blow it against Iowa, and they did not. So how good of a shot do you think my Michigan Wolverines have against Georgia and the Orange Bowl? Yeah, a very good shot. And, you know, I, I can't get out of my mind what I just saw happen to that Georgia defensive line. The only thing that's, that's I, I think, troubling for Michigan is that Bryce Young being Bryce Young was a big part of how Alabama won that mm-hmm. game. He had some freak athlete plays. McNamara is not that, right? So, uh, obviously, Michigan's going to be able to run the football. I do believe that. But I, I think it's going to be, can they get enough reliable quarterback play to win? I, it's a winnable game for them. I, I don't think they can do what Alabama did to them. So you think it'll end up being Georgia-Alabama again? They didn't want that matchup in the semis. They maybe want it in the final? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I asked Gary Barta if they separated Michigan or if they separated Alabama and Georgia at all with the mindset of what matchup they wanted. And he flatly said, no, we never do that. Mm-hmm. It's never considered. We are mm-hmm. only considering the ranking. So, Well, you know. why would he make a sense now after all season of being able to? And that's not a slight <laughs> at Gary Barta. He's the one who has to stand up and speak for the committee deciding to uh, make different choices every week. Yeah. It's Spain and Fitz. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. If your pet passenger is injured in a car accident, get help paying for vet expenses. Pet protection comes free with auto collision coverage. Get a quote at Progressive.com. Coming up, it's what you've been waiting for all night. Are Fitz and I married? And what the hell happened with his Raiders? It's going to be a tough segment for Fitz. It's coming up next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Yes, these are the dulcet tones of one Jason (laughs) Fitz playing the autumn wind for his Raiders, his beloved Raiders. The team even posted a video of him decked out in Raiders gear playing this tune on his beloved fiddle ahead of their game. And, well, let's see how that went. He's set. Way's going to place the ball at the 38. It's a 48-yard attempt. Snap, hold, kick. It is up. End. Jackpot! It's good! Washington takes the lead. 17-15 to on a 48-yard field goal. So we've heard about the Woodson whiskey. We've heard about standing up while you watch the games. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We've heard a number of ways that Jason Fitz affects the outcome of Raiders games. And I guess the answer here, Fitz, is that you can never do that again, huh? I mean, it's fresh. It's still fresh. Like, there's sometimes you think you, you're you ready for it, and then you watch it happen, and you realize you're just not. That that was yesterday, you know. Uh, so uh, all of it, all the way down to the video, which I I was so happy, you know, I, I do a weekly hit on the Raiders affiliate, and someone from the affiliate had said a, a listener had asked him at a game, hey, could you have Fitz play Autumn Wind sometime? Ask him to do that. So I was in studio early doing Rankings Reaction. I, I had them put up a – I asked one of our directors kindly, Alex, uh, put up a, the Raiders logo, and I played it. And I was like, this is great. So I sent it to the guys from the radio station. I was like, ah, i got to put it up today. Well, they beat me to it. So, oh. you know, they put the video up on Raider Nation Radio first, where it now has 150,000 views. Nice. I've never posted anything in my life that, get, that, that has also, that. You're trying to yeah. say that if you posted it, it would affect the game, but since you no, 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 were I'm just saying I was thirsty have... for the views so that I okay, could like you were show excited about the views. I was excited and about then the disappointed views. by yeah, the results. Yeah. And, and and then and I get into the day, and you know, I was I I was because I was working early. I get home, I made a very healthy lunch. 
I didn't have any alcohol other than the wow. Woodson whiskey. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be very so measured. Your Woodson whiskey streak ended as well. Yeah, the Woodson whiskey streak is gone. What a terrible day for what you. Is, the, and the sad thing is, they they showed this stat on the game right uh, as we were le- deep in the the fourth quarter. The the Raiders this year have not won a single game when Derek Carr didn't pass for at least 300 yeah. yards. And I was doing the math in my head for where they were as they were about to take the lead, and I was like, well, we're done. I mean, he can't get to 300 yards. It's not going to happen. Had they completed the long bomb at the end, it would have put him to 300 they would have won but uh yeah no that, that was a thorough disgusting output of the least consistent football team on the field I'm not talking off the field I have never in my lifetime as a Raiders fan seen a team more capable one week and incapable the next week offensively mm. of scoring or then just getting first downs everything they tried to do on Sunday looked gross, ugly, and difficult. And it's just Mm. such a kick in the no-no places when you're like, how did it look easy last week against the Cowboys? You had 10 days to get ready for that, and that's what you give me. Yeah, I feel sorry for you because you still have hope. And that means week in and week out, you set yourself up for immense disappointment. And it's feeling like another one of those seasons where they start off great and then they just can't keep it going. And you end up uh, crying into your Woodson whiskey again, cuddling your fiddle. Uh, which brings me to the next topic. Tough we have to, to cuddle get a into. fiddle. There's a lot of splinters involved. Splinters. Uh, it's a lot of wood. It's Spain Rosin. and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, <laughs> ESPN Radio. We're brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. Uh, I don't have to be sad about the Bears because there's literally no reason for me to care because it's not even J- it's not even Fields in there that I can have like a look at and see whether he's going to progress. Right now, it's still Andy Dalton getting beat up by dudes who haven't played for a couple weeks. But uh, while I was nursing the wounds of another Bears loss, and you were, again, cuddling your fiddle and crying into your Woodson whiskey, somebody sent us a screen grab and pointed out that uh, if you search just the name Jason Fitz on Google, uh, the first result you get is your tweets, which are very sad. Mm -hmm. Um, You, at one point, are talking about a slow, agonizing, painful death. Yes. And the team keeping it close enough to make sure you're still miserable and have a small amount of sick hope that keeps you dialed in while you await the inevitable. So, yeah, you were having a totally chill Sunday. Uh, But just below that, it says people also ask. And when you click on the question, who is Jason Fitz's wife, the answer is... Sarah Spain, <laughs> which was news to me, and Erroneous. hopefully you. Yeah, let's hear that again. Uh, that is, thank you. Correct. Uh, Fitz, any ideas? Uh, I'm aware that the internet says my actual husband is a billionaire. Right, right, right. That's my first question. that is not true. So, so why do I now have a new husband who assuredly is not a billionaire, but also isn't my real husband. Okay, a couple of things here. Since, obviously, according to Google, you know, you guys were already worth a billion, I figure you got a 500 million, half a billion in the Fair. split, right? And Fair. so now that no we are yeah. we are obviously not going to make it. Like, there's no hope for us. I'll <laughs> gladly take a $250 million check to walk away. That's, oh, but if I married you, I would have a prenup uh, for that's pro- sure. That's probably yeah, a fair point. Yeah, I would see the too. end before yeah. the beginning began. I mean, for $250 million, <laughs> though, I'll, I'll, like, tattoo Sarah Spain on my face. Like, forget having my wedding invite on my left arm. I'll go, like, I love Sarah Spain for $250 million right on my forehead. And I'll even do it, like, oh. forwards and backwards so that if somebody sees me in the mirror, they can read it that way too. Like there is a price and I'd still feel like I was getting the better end of the deal at $250 million. I, I, you know what? <laughs> I think you might be. Um, I do like that the internet is just full of falsehoods 
Um, you never really know what these like, and I do think they are bot farms in other countries where they basically try to figure out if you were searching for this person, what would you want to know? And then how do we use search engine optimization to make sure you end up at our weird site that's just cobbling together information from the internet, which is why I once spoke at a high school and then all of those random things started saying that's where I went to high school. Oh, nice. Uh, in addition to being married to a billionaire, also I have a like third, uh, like a 27 inch waist and I'm 32. Great. Congrats. I'll take Alonious. it. Erroneous. Thank you. Also, uh, you know, nobody ever points that out when they don't believe me when I say my husband's not a billionaire. I'm like, but do you think I'm 32 with a 27 inch waist? Um, <laughs> Yours, uh, one of the ones that I found, <laughs> my favorite part is it says Jason Fitz age, and I think that's correct, although you were not born in Nashville, correct? Correct. I was not born in Nashville. Yes. In the, I just saw it says my age is 38. That is not correct. Uh, no, this, this one is okay. correct. It says 44. I think correct. that's okay, right. Yep. June, yeah, that's... June 3rd, 1977. That is correct, yes. Okay, but it says you were born in Nashville, which is false. But then it says Jason Fitz height, and it says he is a man of average stature. Thank you very much. <laughs> You know what? The, the, inter- the interwebs never disappoints. It's obviously I, I, I had to go to the doctor recently, and I found out they say I'm back up to five nine and a half. So that wow, quarter inch I thought you. I lost, it's back standing up straighter. That's got to be the cause of it. Five nine and a half. Thank you. I have to assume that we're married because somebody put partner, and oh, in another probably. language, yeah, they thought yeah. that that meant we were married. Uh, we should take a poll as to who would crack first in that marriage. Oh, I would Who's... wear you down and in, 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 <laughs> take days. It'd take days before you were like, you little man, out. <laughs> we'll put that up at Spain and Fitz. Coming up, a little good take, hot take on the weekend of football. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Yes, these are the dulcet tones of one Jason Fitz. <laughs> Playing the autumn wind for his Raiders, his beloved Raiders. The team even posted a video of him decked out in Raiders gear, playing this tune on his beloved fiddle ahead of their game. And, well, let's see how that went. He's set. Way's going to place the ball at the 38. It's a 48-yard attempt. Snap, hold, kick. It is up and jackpot. It's good. Washington takes the lead. 17 to 15 on a 48 yard field goal. So we've heard about the Woodson whiskey. We've heard about standing up while you watch the games. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We've heard a number of ways that Jason Fitz affects the outcome of Raiders games. And I guess the answer here, Fitz, is that you can never do that again, huh? I mean,. It's fresh. It's still fresh. Like there's sometimes you think you you're ready for it, and then you watch it happen, and you realize you're just not. That that was yesterday, you know. Uh, so uh, all of it, all the way down to the video, which I I was so happy, you know. I, I do a weekly hit on the Raiders affiliate, and someone from the affiliate had said a, a listener had asked him at a game, "Hey, could you have Fitz play Autumn Wind sometime?" Ask him to do that. So I was in studio early doing rankings reaction. I I had them put up. A, I asked one of our directors kindly, Alex, uh, put up a, the Raiders logo, and I played it. And I was like, "This is great." So I sent it to the guys from the radio station. I was like, "Ah, I gotta put it up today." Well, they beat me to it. So oh. you know, they put the video up on Raider Nation Radio first, where it now has one hundred and fifty thousand views. Nice. I've never posted anything in my life that get that, that has also, that 
you're trying to yeah. say that if you posted it, it would affect the game, but since you no, 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 involved, I'm just saying I was thirsty have... for the views so that I okay, could like you were so excited be, yeah. about the views. I was excited about the views. Disappointed by yeah, the yeah. results. And and then and I get into the day, and you know, I was I I was because I was working early. I get home. I made a very healthy lunch. I didn't wow. have any alcohol other than the wow. Woodson whiskey. I was like, you know what? I'm going to be very <gasps> so measured. Your Woodson whiskey streak ended as well. Yeah, the Woodson what whiskey streak is gone. What a terrible day for what you. The, and the sad thing is, they they showed this stat on the game right uh, as, as we were le- deep in the the fourth quarter. The the Raiders this year have not won a single game when Derek Carr didn't pass for at least 300 yeah. yards. And I was doing the math in my head for where they were as they were about to take the lead, and I was like, well, we're done. I mean, he can't get to 300 yards. It's not going to happen. Had they completed the long bomb at the end, it would have put him to 300. They would have won. But, uh, yeah, no, that, that was a thorough, disgusting output of the least consistent football team on the field. I'm not talking off the field. I have never in my lifetime as a Raiders fan seen a team more capable one week and incapable the next week offensively Mm. of scoring or then just getting first downs. Everything they tried to do on Sunday looked gross, ugly, and difficult. And it's just Mm. such a kick in the no-no places when you're like, how did it look easy last week against the Cowboys? You had 10 days to get ready for that, and that's what you give me. Yeah, I feel sorry for you because – you still have hope, and that means week in and week out, you set yourself up for immense disappointment, and it's feeling like another one of those seasons where they start off great, and then they just can't keep it going, and you end up uh, crying into your Woodson whiskey again, cuddling your fiddle. Uh, which brings me to the next topic. Tough we have to, to cuddle get a fiddle. There's a lot of splinters and, involved. And splinters. Uh, it's a lot of wood. It's Spain Rosin. and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, <laughs> ESPN Radio. We're brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. Uh, I don't have to be sad about the Bears because there's literally no reason for me to care because it's not even J- it's not even Fields in there that I can have like a look at and see whether he's going to progress. Right now, it's still Andy Dalton getting beat up by dudes who haven't played for a couple weeks. But uh, while I was nursing the wounds of another Bears loss, and you were again cuddling your fiddle and crying into your Woodson whiskey. Somebody sent us a screen grab and pointed out that uh, if you search just the name Jason Fitz on Google, uh, the first result you get is your tweets, which are very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, you at one point are talking about a slow, agonizing, painful death. Yes. And the team keeping it close enough to make sure you're still miserable and have a small amount of sick hope that keeps you dialed in while you await the inevitable. So, yeah, you were having a totally chill Sunday. Uh, but just below that... It says people also ask. And when you click on the class question, who is Jason Fitz's wife? The answer is Sarah Spain, <laughs> which was news to me. Erroneous. Hopefully you. Yeah, let's hear that again. Uh, that is Thank you. Correct. Uh, Fitz, any ideas? Uh, I'm aware that the internet says my actual husband is a billionaire. Right, right, right. That's my sadly, first question. that is not true. So, so why do I now have a new husband who assuredly is not a billionaire, but also isn't my real husband? Okay, a couple of things here. Since, obviously, according to Google, you know, you guys were already worth a billion. I figure you got a 500 million, half a billion in the Fair. split, right? And Fair. so now that no, we are yeah. we are obviously not going to make it. Like, there's no hope for us. I'll <laughs> gladly take a $250 million check to walk away. That's, oh, but if I married you, I would have a prenup for uh, that's pro- sure. That's probably yeah, a fair point, Yeah, I would point see the too. end before yeah. the beginning began. I mean, for $250 million, though, I'll, I'll like, tattoo Sarah Spain on my face. Like, forget having my wedding invite on my left arm. I'll go, like, I love Sarah Spain for $250 million right on my forehead. And I'll even do it, like, oh. forwards and backwards. 
backwards so that if somebody sees me in the mirror, they can read it that way too. Like there is a price and I'd still feel like I was getting the better end of the deal at 250 million. I, I, you know what? I think you might be. Um, I do like that the internet is just full of falsehoods. Um, you never really know what these like, and I do think they are bot farms in other countries where they basically try to figure out if you were searching for this person, what would you want to know? And then how do we use search engine optimization to make sure you end up at our weird site that's just cobbling together information from the internet, which is why I once spoke at a high school and then all of those random things started saying that's where I went to high school. Oh, nice. Uh, in addition to being married to a billionaire, also I have a like third, uh, like a 27 inch waist and I'm 32. Great. Congrats. I'll take Erroneous. it. Erroneous. Thank you. Also, uh, you know, nobody ever points that out when they don't believe me when I say my husband's not a billionaire. I'm like, but do you think I'm 32 with a 27 inch waist? Um, <laughs> Yours, uh, one of the ones that I found, <laughs> my favorite part is it says Jason Fitz age, and I think that's correct, although you were not born in Nashville, correct? Correct. I was not born in Nashville. Yeah. In the, I just saw it says my age is 38. That is not uh, correct. No, this, this one oh, is okay. correct. It says 44. I think correct. that's okay, right. Yep, June, yep, that's... June 3rd, 1977. That is correct, yes. Okay, but it says you are born in Nashville, which is false, but then it says Jason Fitz height, and it says he is a man of average stature. Thank you very much. <laughs> You know what? The, the, interwe- the interwebs never disappoints. It's obviously I, I, I had to go to the doctor recently, and I found out they say I'm back up to five nine and a half. So that wow, quarter inch I thought you. I lost, it's back standing up straighter. That's got to be the cause of it. Five nine and a half. Thank you. I have to assume that we're married because somebody put partner, and oh, in another probably. language, yeah, they thought yeah. that that meant we were married. Uh, we should take a poll as to who would crack first in that marriage. Oh, I would Who's... wear you down and in, 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 <laughs> it'd take days. It'd take days before you were like, you little man, out! <laughs> we'll put that up at Spain and Fitz. Coming up, a little good take, hot take on the weekend of football. It's coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, the uh, wife of a billionaire and a man of average stature on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And we're brought to you by Goodyear, with you for every mile on the road to greatness. Goodyear, more driven. Every Monday, we like to take the comments of the bloviating gas bags that serve as our colleagues, sometimes ourselves, and we ask whether they're giving good takes or hot takes about the weekend of football. So let's get into it. We thought we might learn a bit about the Bills and Pats in a matchup tonight on Monday Night Football, currently on ESPN. Now I'm starting to doubt it because of the strange weather. Mike Golick Jr. said, yeah, the dumbest possible special teams play is going to win this game. Uh, Fumbles, boomerang-like passes. This game might not teach us anything. And that leads us to our first take from Chris Mortensen this afternoon on Barton Hahn before this game even started saying, who can we trust? I don't think I'd put my money on anybody right now. I mean, I, I'm anxious to see how this plays out. I mean, you know, it's kind of like, hey, it's hard to win the game in the NFL. It's a cliche, but it is true. Uh, I mean, I, I was thinking about Bengals. Watch out for the Bengals. And then the Chargers came right. in there and laid it on them uh, yesterday. So that's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, Baltimore, I feel like it positioned itself because they'd won some games they probably should have not, but they did win them. All right, Fitz. So 
good take or hot take? Can you not trust anyone? That's a good take. <laughs> and it's part of what I absolutely love about this season. Like we were talking about the college football playoff earlier. Like no matter what anybody may think of it, we've got two teams that we haven't seen in the playoff before. Like I think that's exciting. Right now, I have no idea. If, you, if I had to bet a substantial sum on any one team to win the Super Bowl, I wouldn't be comfortable with any of those bets. And actually, I think that's going to make for a much more interesting January and February since my beloved Raiders won't be involved in it. Well, I unfortunately already did uh, put a slightly substantial sum on a couple teams winning. I got a little bit uh, brought in by the big uh, payouts in the in the long-term bets earlier this season. I think Rams, Bucks, and Bills are the ones that I've got some cash on to win it all. Don't know how I feel about those because I feel the most secure in the Cardinals. I think it's a hot take because I don't know why people aren't believing in the Cardinals. This is a really good team that won even without Hopkins and Murray. And then when those guys came back, presumably rusty, potentially a trap game against the Bears, and in a rainy day, they still won. I mean, to me, the Cardinals are a team that I can believe in, and until I see proof that I shouldn't, I'm not going to mix them in with the rest of the batch that continue to be inconsistent. All right, next take, Mike Tomlin. It's a little bit of a twist on good take, hot take. It's more like truth or lie. Do you think the Steelers head coach was being honest when he said that Roethlisberger retirement rumors are not at all distracting to his Steelers squad? There's nothing to manage. Um, ben doesn't allow it to become an issue. Ben has been pretty solid in terms of his expressions that he's singly focused on what it is that we're doing now. He'll deal with those things on the other side of this journey, and I'm with him on it. And so um, it is not a distraction. Uh, I thought it was funny that it was seemingly a story this weekend, to be quite honest with you. Okay, Fitz, you buying that? Is it true that he is not considering it a distraction that his Hall of Fame quarterback is maybe out after this season? I think that I could be running next to Mike Tomlin 24-7, screaming in his ear, hey, 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 and he would still say nothing's a distraction. That man, the next coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, simply Whoa. cannot be – well, I mean, Albert Breer said it a couple of days ago wow. that they're going to reach out. So you Never know, say never, uh, but never. never. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> I don't think anything distracts Mike, so I'm not sure any of it is a distraction to him. To the team, though, I I mean, it's got. I think it's a little bit of a hot take there. I'm gonna say good take for him because I think you're right. I think he is able to focus on the now and think about later, later. But I think it's a hot take when it comes to the team because. Uh, This has been hanging over for years, not just this season, but will he or won't he be back? What can he do if he is back? And now the conversation for a lot of this season has been, you know, as soon as they are out of it officially, he needs to be sat and you need to see what you got uh, and and what's going to happen next. So a little bit bit steamy there, a little hot. It's good take, hot take, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Let's get to our favorite good taker and hot taker, Dan Orlovsky. He was on with... (laughs) Uh, KJ and Max this morning talking about how he thinks that despite the Bengals loss, Joe Burrow actually outplayed Herbert. I thought he did. Like after watching the game and after watching the tape, I thought Joe Burrow played better. Justin Herbert played good. Burrow played better. This is what like Herbert made more really far and faster throws. His guys just made plays, but Joe, I thought made more impressive throws, had less misses. Herbert had a couple misses as well, had less misses. I thought he was more accurate with the football in that 15 to 22 yard range. I threw, I thought he threw the ball downfield incredibly well. Mm. That touchdown pass to Higgins was sick. As Her- opposed to the 50, 50 ball that yeah, Herbert threw. Her- yeah. Herbert had three of them. Now there were awesome, like 
like mm. velocity throws and, and launches, and you go, wow. And he had one third down early in the game. We moved up and threw across. I'm like, again, Justin played well. I just thought Joe made more impressive throws. Okay, so good take or hot take that Burrow outplayed Herbert? Uh, I think that's a good take. He good. Uh, and, and it's nothing against the way the game played out. I thought Burrow played pretty well. There were some re- regrettable moments for the Bengals in that game, but I still believe that we're underselling Joe Burrow and overselling Justin Herbert at this point. Uh, I'm going to say good take. I think he in good. this game, uh, tough outing from Burrow, um, Better potentially outing from Burrow, who was let down occasionally by by teammates and and weird quirky plays. Herbert ultimately, to me, is a better quarterback in terms of the ceiling with the talent that he has. Just an unbelievably um, capable guy who I could see potentially getting even further. Although I did hear someone say that they could see Burrow winning more titles, even if Herbert is a more talented player. It could be a Brady versus Rogers situation here in terms of that that style of play, that ability versus maybe being able to lead a team. Of course, uh, if Burrow was winning all those titles, he would have to leave the Bengals. Uh, just, I'm not seeing that happening. I'm not seeing the Bengals winning a lot of titles, but potentially uh, Burrow. By the way, quick Monday Night Football update. Damian Harris, a 64-yard rushing touchdown. Uh, they went for two, which probably will happen a lot tonight, and converted, so the Pats are up 8 nothing over the Bills early in this wacky, wild game. It's wild. It's weird, wacky stuff. Uh, that was a deep cut, uh, and I showed my age. Let's move on and stick with this game, though. Uh, I mentioned that some folks had thought that the, the Bengals maybe let down Jerboer in this game, and Tim Hasselbeck said on SportsCenter, he agrees. I thought his team let him down today. I really did. And that's not to say that they've done that all season long, because I don't believe they have. But in this game, which was a big game, you know, an AFC game with, with where they sit in the in the race and the fact that, uh, you know, their division is, uh, you know, where it is in terms of the, the playoff hunt, I thought they kind of let him down. You know, Joe Burrow, who you know was fighting his tail off, you know, you referenced his finger, you know, to come back in the football game and fight the way he fought. I thought the rest of his team kind of failed him. All right, good take or hot take? I think that's a hot take. I mean, I, I understand that maybe they didn't play up to the level that Burrow played with the intensity or whatever, but I, that's that's a far cry from let him down. I mean, the Chargers are a very good football team that are particularly talented. I think on paper the Chargers are a better team than the Bengals. So I have a hard time saying everybody let him down because it makes it sound like a great team underperformed. I'm going to agree with you, hot take. I think there were certainly moments that reflected in the box score things that were not correct. For instance, uh, that weird thing with Jamar Chase where he should have easily had the pass and gotten a touchdown instead ends up with with an interception that goes on Burrow's record and leads to a Chargers touchdown, a 14-point swing there, despite a great throw from Joe Burrow. Um, So, you know, I think there were moments, but that's football. I think the only reason we're arguing it in the context of saying they let him down is because people are determined to have a QB off between Herbert and Burrow because of this game, because they share a draft class, yada, yada, yada. Otherwise, these would just be the kind of thing you see across football games every week, and we don't normally blame players' mistakes for letting teammates down. That was good take, hot take. We are also getting some good and hot takes about which one of us would file for divorce first if we were indeed married, like the internet says we are. We'll get into that, plus Gardner Minshew, an emotional return to a start and games of the week, and it's coming up next, Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Live watch, Boston Scott split out wide right. 
Here's Minshew to throw. Lofting it right. Wide open is Goddard inside the five. And in for the touchdown, his second of the day. The tight end, Dallas Goddard, was left alone by about five yards. A 25-yard score, and the Eagles are back on top. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. You heard that call, ESPN Radio, Minshew to Goddard for a touchdown in that Eagles win. We're going to get to Minshew in a couple other games that uh, Fitz wanted to talk about that he missed uh, that segment earlier in the show. Uh, but wanted to remind you that college basketball is back, too. You can tune in tomorrow night for the Jimmy V Classic as Texas Tech takes on Tennessee, followed by Villanova battling Syracuse. Coverage begins at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. And a reminder that we will keep you updated as soon as we hear back from the MRI on Paige Becker's uh, prayers up for her, hoping that that is not a serious long-term injury that would be a big hit for UConn as we keep our eye on college basketball uh, heading into the new year. We also are keeping an eye on your Twitter responses. You are all chiming in on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to become a part of Spain and Fitz Nation about which of Fitz or I, if we were indeed married, as an erroneous report on the internet states, which of us would be most likely to crack and file for divorce first. Uh, Currently, the poll is at 65.9% for me and 34.1% for you at Jack's tweets uh, on the uh, Spain and Fitz Nation Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, there would be a passionate discussion over condiments to be put out just before guests were to arrive for dinner and his body was never found. Uh, that sounds about right. Uh, at Danny underscore Brantley on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. I follow you on Instagram. Sorry, Jason. I don't think you could keep up. Uh, fair enough. I spot no lies. Fitz does like to relax a little more than I do. Uh, at Angry Bears Fan Dad Man, it's a tough call. I think Sarah would move out first, but Jason officially files the paperwork or intends to file but forgets and loses it, reminding Sarah why she gave up on him to begin with, causing her to refi- refile said paperwork. It's complicated. Uh, as usual, our most loyal listener nails it. Uh, yeah, that is, that Fitz, is perfect. Uh, just not even owning up to his side of the divorce, just like the bets we make. I'm like, you know what? I, I was going to file that. Also, by the way, Dave says my Peter Brady time to change voice would be too much for you to overcome. <laughs> Thank you for for implying when that I have the same time to change. The, the, the same amazing voices like TV stars. That's what I heard TV out of that. stars instead yeah. of maybe a professional musician. I mean, that might be something you should aim for I, instead. I mean, one step at a time. One step at a time. Oh, it's great. Uh, someone just put, musicians are highly untrustworthy. I, I spot you. no lies. Thank I you, spot Disco no Nagurski. Uh, uh, Busco Boner also said, ask your real husband, Brad. Well, he would be happy to tell Fitz why he might actually be the first to bail. I'm sure he's got a <laughs> list. Uh, we are not actually married. Uh, the internet has oh, once again wait, the provided you with lies. Wait, the not 100% accurate? Oh, no, my, my real husband is not a billionaire, sadly. I'm doing my uh, own research on all of this. I don't know. Yeah, you get to do your own research. You just, you never know what the lying media might be telling you. We might be lying. We might have gotten married when we went to Vegas for Bears Raiders and we've been hiding it this whole time. We were just really worried about Shea Pepler and Jordan Cornette stealing our slot. Right. There's a real right. nice vibe there with an actual married couple. So we uh, we care a lot about our jobs and we'll do whatever it takes. Uh, in Spain and Pitts, Mr. and Mrs. Spain. 
Uh, you would take my name yeah, on ESPN no, there's Radio. There's no doubt about that. There's the ESPN app. Jason Serious Spain has a pretty good ring to it, though. Like Channel 80. Uh, my husband and I literally talked about that before we got married, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to keep my name. He's like, no, genuinely, I believe it would be more likely for me to take your name than mine. I'm like, yeah. I mean, I mean like, Sarah let's just Spain. be honest. Like, Come Jason on. Spain sounds kind of like, like an action star. I'm like, hey, guys, Ooh, Jason Spain. it does. Yeah. Spain. Jason Spain. I, ju- oh. I just said the same thing. You know, no one's messing with Jason Spain. Spain. I'm, yeah. I'm, that's it. I'm changing my name. Kind of like uh, no one's messing with Sarah Spain. It would be weird if the show just turned to Spain and Spain. I mean, yeah. <laughs> We're uh, like, what happened? Or, or would it? Like, we could just call it Spain squared? I mean. Spain's. 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 Oh, yeah. I like that. I like that. Uh, you had something to say about Gardner Minshew. Was it about how he looked like he was dressed up as a uh, somebody from Top Gun after the game the other day when the, you saw the clip of him hugging his dad? Yeah, I mean, but that is part of it. So it's funny because Gardner Minshew came in and played really well uh, in a win over the Jets. Now, that's a win over the Jets, and we all know the Jets are just trash and hot garbage. But he was still 20-25 or 242. You know, I, it was a it was a big day for him, and seeing his emotion and his reaction with his dad afterwards, all I kept thinking about was the general way that football teams sort of profile their their athletes, right? Like Mike Oler Jr. has talked about the draft uh, process in the past, and when and people were prepping him for it, he was prepped for the question of what else do you love other than football, and the answer was nothing. I only love football. Right. Like yeah. and, and Gardner Minshew, seeing his level of passion for just getting on the field and getting a win. Like, A, great move by the Eagles to give up virtually nothing and give themselves a backup quarterback option Mm -hmm. that can actually win them games. But I keep looking at Gardner Minshew, somebody that statistically has had a pretty good run so far in the NFL. Like, I still think he's going to have an opportunity to prove himself somewhere. And the more he gets just one game here and one game there to to step in and crush it, the more I feel like he's going to be playing for somebody next year or the year after when his contract's up next year if the Eagles choose to trade him. I mean, they're in a really good spot with their backup. Yeah, and, and it led to some conversation after the game about whether Gardner Minshew might be the guy. Nick Sirianni, Eagles head coach and gardening aficionado, had this to say about Jalen Hurts and his future at quarterback. He wasn't healthy enough to play, and you know we you know he was we thought he was getting better, and um, it just it just we were always going to put the player's health uh, first and foremost, and so he just wasn't healthy enough to play, and uh, and that's why why he didn't play and didn't dress. And then how involved is he in that? Like, did he want to play? And you guys, of course he wanted. Of course he wants to play. Um, You know, like I told you guys on Friday. I mean, it's it's. uh, you know, it's a lot of parties at play. I always got to listen to the doctors. I always got to listen to the trainers, and I always got to listen to the player and take all that all that information and uh, make a decision that's best for the for the player and our team. Will he remain your quarterback? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, even though he got a win with Goose. I mean, or do you think he's more Mav? I think he's more Maverick for sure. I, I, do you think he'll ever shave the mustache? Like, I kind of want God, the mustache man not. to not have the mustache because let's face it. He he looks like somebody that shouldn't be allowed to children's birthday parties, but like that's just what happens with that sort of a mustache look, right? Like if he changes the mustache, I have to redo my whole ensemble for around the horn, and I think I nailed it the first time around. So you did, but it, it lets you bring it back in like uh, iteration two. You know, that's I, true. I, I do think. Uh, look, the the Eagles have given us every indication that they know who their starting quarterback is going to be. We don't need to make this complicated. It's Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts is going to get every opportunity to win that job. But the better that Gardner Minshew plays. The more, especially going into a year where the best draft prospect in the in the minds of most is Kenny Pickett, the quarterback out of Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. who is good but not great. I and don't. There are some teams like the one we just talked about in the Steelers that are going to be looking around and saying, 
oof, our options are not good that are currently on our roster. Yeah, somebody's going to overpay for a quarterback. I think the Eagles are in a real opportunity to to leverage what they have on Gardner Minshew. It should be noted he has this year and next year left on his contract and won't make a million dollars. Like, think about that. Oof. Won't even make next year's salary is not a million dollars. So that's an easy jump for a team to look at and say, why not get a one-year tryout? Like, if somebody would give Sam Darnold a one-year tryout for, you know, tens of millions of dollars, imagine what a one-year tryout at under a million is. Spain and Fitz. Uh, Fitz currently wearing a leather jacket. What is your Top Gun name? Uh, well, I I don't know what it. What would Jason my, Spain? It's got uh, Jason be. Spain. Jason yeah, I mean, Spain? yeah, yeah, I'm but not, he needs I'm a not, he needs a call sign like Goose uh, no, or Maverick. No, 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 or, no, no, because it's a black leather fiddler, jacket. It's fiddler. A, I'm 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 full Johnny Cash tonight. Like black Jason, le- black Jason shirt, Fats. black leather jacket. I'm Jason <laughs> Spain. Like I'm superhero version of me. Like I'm Captain America when I'm not in the tights. Just I'm willing to lend tights. you some of my confidence. I have more than enough I mean, <laughs> to lend you if you need some. Like I, I, I've been told, an, a disproportionate amount considering my who I am. I feel like <laughs> I, I, I needed, considering I own the tights, now I needed the leather jacket. That way I can go either way with whether I'm not, I'm going to be superhero me or phone booth me. Like, I mean, Ooh, am I changing oh. or am I? There's that time to change voice. Uh, <laughs> string theory is the call name that's been suggested. You know, oh, the I strings like yeah, on I the like fiddle. Um, we could we could keep workshopping that. By the way, Monday Night Football, Gabriel Davis got, caught a pass from Josh Allen, 14 yards. Extra point is good. They actually kicked it 8-7 to seven, New England. Uh, they have the lead with two minutes left in the first. We did talk to Mike Reese about how it depended which direction you were going. If you're going towards the tunnel, you might have a super-powered throw and kick. If you're going opposite, you might get a boomerang. So something to keep an eye on as this game continues. 80-yard field goal. Give it to me. Give it to me. I wish I could find it, but I can't. If you can on the internet, find the Kenny Main plus Robbie Gold main event. Send it to me on Twitter, at Sarah Spain. It was a joy, and I can't find it anywhere. Do your sleuthing, internet, and send it to me. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.